Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen, and please be seated. Hey, good morning, Journey Church. And so many first-time guests with us. No, we do not stand people up and point them out, but Journey Church, pay attention. Lots of people here this morning. Uh, This time of year is known for that, but uh, what a Sunday for your first experience with us. And uh, to see how uh, scrappy and flexible Journey Church is. Uh, We've been through worse. And if you're going to have a, a catastrophe, this is the kind you want to have, meaning we don't have a church split, we don't have an affair that is, is hitting the news, we don't have uh, a homicide or something like that, so we're going to get through this. For those of you who don't know what happened, uh, Friday night we had a microburst, uh, the U of A caught it on video, we have a video of that posted on our Facebook page, but we think, uh, we know where it came from, we could, we could actually see the damage, we could actually see the storm moving from, from northeast to southwest, came about a 100-mile-per-hour wind that, that swooped up underneath, lifted up a major portion of our auditorium roof, and uh, just peeled it like a banana, flipping, uh, multiplied tons of roofing material, punched a hole in the good part of the ceiling, and rolled off the edge. So, um, listen, we've got three, three um, timelines, and you're experiencing a successful crossing of the first timeline, meaning... It was about 26 hours ago that we found out about this. No one was on the property when that hit. It was the next morning after the roof being ripped off and the microburst pouring probably an inch or two of rain into our building. Um, It was early yesterday morning that uh, someone found it, uh, contacted Matt, and uh, went into action. And what do we do for Sunday morning? That's the first finish line. We are living it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Um, There's going to be about a three-week timeline of working with insurance and finding out how does this change our tactics in making disciples over the next several weeks. And then the final one is going to be a six- to eight-month grind. And that's the marathon where we are all going to be tested, our relationships, our decision-making ability, our leadership structures, and more than anything, our love for one another. So we need to be a prayerful and praying church. I had an elder point this out, um, that if there was ever a group, a leadership team and a congregation that you want to go through this kind of thing with, it's this one. And I would say a hearty amen. And just to say thank you to to several people, Matt Fry for Walking Point with just the crisis uh, management, insurance, contractors, Sarah Ross with communications and in uh, being the one-woman band this morning. Um, Tyler Hurst and his support here yesterday. Uh, Jesus Gonzalez, you're back there on the soundboard in in giving up your day and pivoting uh, to help us do multiple things. Kyle Peart, he's back there recording in in Kyle Wave. Um, He was here all day yesterday. Janet and the Pain Clan, the Hedick family, Ken Martin, Ken Kale, uh, Larry Fredine, Bob Gibson, who has been a part of this church, doesn't attend here right now. My neighbor Ziggy was on site in helping us look at things and take some dangerous pieces off the roof. And so many more that uh, I can't even get to. The Martinez family that's way in the back. So many of you that knew about it showed up here. 
Others of you heard about it later on in the day, but man, can we just say thank you for all of the, of the workers that were here to, to help. Now, having a great team, a great church, a great culture is wonderful. That's a great start. We simply will not get through this unscathed without lots and lots of prayer. Is it interesting that we are smack dab in a sermon series on prayer and prayerfulness? And not just for our 911 kinds of individual personal needs, but missional prayer. Because here's the thing. No matter what happens to our, our property, our assets, the things that we hold in common, the mission must go on. What is the mission? We are a disciple, um, a disciple, uh, a disciple community and a disciple-making community. And for whatever reason, the Lord Jesus Christ has seen a part of our discipleship curriculum for Journey Church and those in our community, part of our discipleship curriculum includes what just happened. This is part of the plan. And the plan is not just to get through this and, and try to do it for a, a song or even uh, improve our property. The plan is to have improved followers of Jesus and more followers of Jesus. Amen? So that's what's going on. I don't know how all those pieces connect, but we must be a prayerful people because we will be tested in these next months so are you ready to learn to pray that we might above everything else that we love one another well we are in this sermon series called prayers of a missionary and why that that's referring to the apostle paul and here's why. After the Lord's Prayer itself, I don't think we can do any better as far as understanding uh, the heart and the content and the purpose of prayer than from the Apostle Paul. After the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't see anyone that was more passionately concerned about the quality and quantity of the spread of the gospel around the world. The Apostle Paul was deeply committed and passionate to the mission of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at his prayers, we see the heartbeat for the gospel spread locally and globally and the quality of life, the quality of disciple that the gospel is to produce in Christians and in congregations. So here we are, part three of prayers of a missionary, I call this sermon Fruitful and Increasing. Dr. A.T. Pearson, two weeks ago, I mentioned this quote. He says, there's never been a spiritual awakening, awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. And then another student of awakenings and revivals, Edwin Orr said, history is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. And that's what we are after, the same heartbeat of Jesus, the same heartbeat of the Apostle Paul, the heartbeat that exists in this place that we would long to see the gospel go forth and prosper, that there would be an enormous harvest of souls for the kingdom of God before the return of our Lord. 
Great things happen when humble men and women begin to pray together. Simple, yet important and strategic prayers. Ian e. Bounds says this about prayer. It's the greatest of all forces because it, is it, it, it honors God and brings him into active aid. Once again, he says, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, and the mightier the forces against evil everywhere. And then Richard Foster, more and better praying will bring the surest and readiest triumph to God's cause. So then, let us learn to pray. Let us look at the prayers of a missionary and learn to pray theologically sound, biblically aligned, Christ-honoring, effective missional prayer. You ready? Ready to go on this? <clears throat> Here's Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 14. As you turn there, let me just give you, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Let me give you a little background and context of Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. The, the epistle was written somewhere around 60 to 62 AD. The apostle Paul is in his first imprisonment in Rome. That turned out to be two years under guard in Rome. Colossae, it's a small town uh, about 100 miles southeast from Ephesus. Um, it's a part of three small well, rather large cities, actually, um, Hierapolis and Laodicea. At one time, Colossae was thriving along with its two sister cities, but for whatever reason, it's fallen into disrepair. It's now the small town connected to these larger towns, about 12 miles away from these, from these other two cities. Paul had never been there. Paul had never been to Colossae, but the church was the outgrowth of his three years of ministry in Ephesus. We can put the parts and pieces together and discover that a man named Epaphras, a resident of Colossae, has traveled to Ephesus while Paul is preaching and teaching there in Ephesus, discovers and hears the gospel, receives Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior, returns to Colossae, shares with his friends, and a church is born in Colossae. We have further insight in Paul's epistle. It's a personal letter to a man named Philemon. We can put these pieces together and discover there's a house church in Philemon's house. And we think his son Archippus is the lead pastor of that house church. And for all we know, that might be the church in Colossae. So Paul is writing to this house church, maybe several house churches, we don't know for sure, but he's writing to them to encourage them. Why? Because Epaphras has come to Rome, and he's told Paul that there's some trouble brewing in the church of Colossae. There are some newfangled doctrines that are being shared in that church there. And what we discover, we can't say exactly what this grew into or if it continued to exist, but here's a few characteristics, and you can see this. It's, it permeates the, the letter to the church at Colossae. There is a heresy, false teaching, bad doctrine. It's very Jewish, 
and the stress is on Jewish law-keeping. It's also deeply philosophical, which matches a little bit more of the Greek culture and Greek mindset. There's an emphasis on deeper, mystical, insider theology or ideas. There's a special emphasis and study on angels and the veneration and worship and co-opting the help of angels to fight in the battle of evil. There's an exclusive and special status of those who are in the initiated elite. And yes, there is Jesus Christ in this false teaching. However, he is not God incarnate. He's one of many emanations, maybe the most important, but he is merely a, a powerful being amongst the angels. So Paul has these three concerns when he writes to them. Um, first off, in the, most, the strongest statement in Scripture, I would argue, for the full deity of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, is found in the, the epistle to the Colossian church. Secondly, to lead the believers there into full spiritual maturity. Why? Because if they're fully mature, they're going to be immune to bad doctrine, to false teaching, and to heresy. And then finally, we read in the letter that Paul wants to just say, tell them how much he loves them and asks for their prayers for him and his ministry. So that's, in a nutshell, the context in the backdrop of this letter to the church at Colossae. Like many of his other epistles, he begins with prayer and telling them how much he prays for them. So here it is, starting in verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Lord, or the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Hold up really quickly there. This word shows up twice, thanks, or thanksgiving, eucharisto. So those of you who have heard the Lord's Supper or the, the Lord's Table, a communion as the Eucharist, what that word means is giving thanks. And that's the word here. We give thanks, we eucharisto, the, the Lord, when we think about you, when we pray for you. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I want you to notice Paul's beloved triad, faith, love, and hope. So those of you who, who uh, had 1 Corinthians 13 uh, read at your wedding or have been to a wedding, abide uh, these three, faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. This, this is not the only place where it shows up. It shows up again and again and again in Paul's writings that he sees these three virtues as being the, the, the cornerstone of Christian life and living. And this is where he says that faith, hope, and love. Faith, the faith is in Jesus, his substitutionary payment for our sins on the cross, personally applied to our lives by receiving Jesus. This is the gospel, that it's not just a culture or a church you belong to, but it's a decision that you make. It's something that you embrace for yourself, that he says, I've heard of it. You guys get it your faith in Jesus Christ. And then he 
puts next to that the evidence that conversion has truly happened, your love for all the saints. That, that authentic faith, you cannot stop the Holy Spirit shedding love in the heart. The converted person that receives Jesus as Lord and Savior suddenly has love, not just for some believers, not just for the people in their church, but has love for all believers everywhere. And all of this is fueled in Paul's thinking by this forward-looking hope of that which is stored up in heaven for them. They get it. They get it. And it's this beautiful interworking of faith, love, and hope. H.M. Carson, Bible scholar, says this about this text right here. It, it is inevitable that where such healthy faith is present, there must also be true love for the brethren. The premacy of faith for the Christian does not lead to a solitary or exclusive piety. It is his very concentration on God which purges him of selfishness and gives him a new perspective in his relationship with others. And that's what Paul is saying. I've heard of it. Epaphras tells me how healthy and vibrant the church is there in Colossae. Let's read on. Going from the idea of hope and looking forward to all that God has for them, he says, of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. That's the word good news. The message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. The gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. That's a key phrase that we're going to come back to. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing around the world, and it's actually working in your church as well. Since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, where did they learn it? I've already said it's Epaphras. It's right here in the text. Just as you've learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit, the evidence of authentic conversion in that local church was reaching back to Paul at Rome and saying, man, this church has the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they love each other well. And that's, that's worth the, the price of admission today, but there's more. I want to point out how awesome just this part of Paul's letter is that he's actually celebrating as he thinks about the word of God, the gospel, and how more and more people around the Roman Empire are hearing the word of truth, the gospel, and they are choosing to not only just believe in intellectual assent, they're willing to receive it as their own salvation for their forgiveness of sins. And that not only is it around the world, but man, it, it is effectively impacted people in Colossae. And part of this, you would go, well, awesome. Paul, Paul is giving thanks. That's a kind of prayer that, that we should be praying. And, and as we think about the changed lives, changed, transformed marriages and families and households, and transformed cultures around the world as the gospel continues to spread. And then as we look around our own congregation, 
and we have witness and testimony. I'm, I'm seeing your faces. I can see you even better today than last week. But I look at, and I know many of your stories, how the gospel saved you, transformed you, either uh, took you in a new direction of health and life and godliness, or it saved your marriage. It's giving you hope through the dark night of the soul. It's giving you love for one another. That we, Eucharisto, the Father, and we say thanks. And that's a good prayer for us to pray here at Journey Church. That we should be giving thanks and start with thanksgiving, not, but God, could you please? God, could you please? God, could you please do this or that or the other thing, even if they're good things? What about beginning by saying, wow, God, you've really topped yourself this time. Look at what you've done. Look at what you're doing. And then move to, and Lord, continue and increase it. And that's a great prayer. That's something we should be praying individually and corporately all the time. Begin with thanksgiving. God, your gospel is awesome. And it is saving people from an eternity away from the presence of God. And it's transforming their very character and relationships. Thank you, God. And then from there, Lord, keep it up. Keep going. It's bearing fruit and increasing globally and locally. And that's where Paul begins this prayer. And you could say, well, it worked. It's done. The gospel's working because it it's, it's just awesome and powerful. And there's now Christians and a church. And it's healthy. But Paul understands that further increase, further movement of the gospel in Colossae and around Colossae and to the uttermost parts of the world is, is tied to something more. Now, God's going to have his way. Jesus is going to have his bride. But will the Colossian church continue to be a part of that story? Are they going to continue to have the power of the gospel in and through and around them? Are they going to get to participate in this fruitfulness and increasing movement of the gospel? I believe that is why he prays the next part here. Picking it up in verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, and so, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking. Now he's going to ask. Instead of just thanking God, he's going to start to ask for some stuff. So that they might become all that Jesus Christ intended them to be. And over the long haul, he asks that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And here's the parallel language from the, the top portion, bearing fruit, and this time he says, in every good work. And increasing, there's that idea again, in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us, all Christians everywhere. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if we look at the first section and the second section together and see the parallel language, I believe we see our bottom line formed and why Paul wouldn't just say, awesome, great, healthy church, good going, celebrate, high fives, walk away, but instead goes, we're praying even more for this additional thing to happen. We see the, the, the language bringing these two together. And here's our bottom line as we look at it this way. The bottom line for, for the message is pray for each other. Pray for each other. Because the gospel bears fruit and increases quantitatively. Like it expands and it increases. The gospel goes forth and is honored. As believers bear fruit and increase qualitatively. You follow that? Now, again, God's going to have his church. The question is, will certain local churches be given the privilege to participate in such a harvest? He wants them to continue to participate in the spread of the gospel, in order to do that, they cannot park it into neutral. Say, yeah, I'm saved, I'm, I'm born again, I'm a child of God, good. They must press on. They must grow. They must be sanctified. And as we look at the lower portion of this text, verses 9 through 11 specifically, or 12, we see this break open into just a beautiful triad. You know, we love triads here. You know, three-point sermons, three-point, three-piece three, uh, suits. I own one. Um, you know, our, our discipleship uh, language here, we talk about learning about Jesus, loving like Jesus, living for Jesus. There's three of those. And I want to just say a, say a note about this. While we talk about them in three components, they are all tied together. You cannot have one without the other two. You cannot have two with the, without the other one. They are holistic and integrated. You pull on this string and the whole ball moves. And I want you to understand that. But we do have precedent in the scripture for taking a piece of that up, uh, and, and setting it on its own to look at that, to ask the question, are we growing in this way? Okay, so what we see here is, is this prayer that Paul's praying for the church at Colossae breaks into three beautiful pieces, but they're all feeding into and out of one another. You follow? That, that's the picture. And I want to unpack this over our remaining moments to see how this works, to ask the question for you personally, are you growing in this way? Are you praying for one another and other Christians and churches around the world, are you praying like this? And we're going to look at how this unfolds in, in three non-negotiable areas of following Jesus. Ready for the first one? It's a fill in the blank on your notes if you're taking notes. Pray for one another to increase in learning about Jesus. Increase in learning about Pray for that. Pray for the journey church. Pray for churches in Tucson. Pray for your Christian brothers and sisters around the world to increase in learning about Jesus. This is taken from verse 9. So from the first day that we heard, 
we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, this is holistic, and I believe the word for knowledge, it's fascinating. Paul could have just used the Greek word gnosis, but he and St. Peter actually sometimes choose to put the Greek preposition epi in front of it, epinosis. And what the idea of this word epinosis is, instead of just an intellectual knowledge, what epinosis seems to indicate is to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know thoroughly and accurately. And I could even go on to say experientially. It's not just so that we can pass a theology exam. It's that we're actually stepping into an experience of the truth. We know it because we've lived it. That's epinosis. And he prays for this. And I believe that this epinosis, though it encompasses all of life in, in the other two components, it begins in the mind. It begins with the intellect. So it's, it's, if you're going to say that, that starts with God doing a work in our minds. I'm pointing to my brain because that's where I think the interface happens. But um, not only is it this epinosis, but this epinosis um, feeds into wisdom and understanding. Again, wisdom and understanding start to cross the line into how you do life. However, they originate, I believe, in the mind or the intellect. So we're still learning about Jesus. Um, we have this, and we know that there were shysters, false teachers in Colossae that were, that were claiming to have knowledge, that were claiming to have uh, hidden wisdom. And that's why Paul, I think, ramps up the word from gnosis to epinosis. Hey, they have gnosis. Let me tell you, I'm praying for epinosis. Um, and, and that it wouldn't just be that. They claim to have wisdom. I'm praying for spiritual wisdom. They claim to have understanding. I'm praying for spiritual understanding. Yeah, the, the wisdom, uh, Sophia in the Greek, um, I would say that that has to do with understanding or, or knowledge that informs real life. It's the art of skillful living. It's, it's a principle, though. And then when we get into the word understanding, it's knowledge and wisdom applied to specific challenges. Right now, we have our next three weeks of pulling the trigger on, on contractors, talking to insurance agents, um, who makes what decision at what level of the organization. Does Matt just say yes? Does it have to go to the elder board? What is the best decision? That's where we need understanding. We need wisdom on how these things work so that we don't get emotionally wrapped into the drama and the crisis. Uh, epinosis, what is God up to? Isn't he good? I've seen it before. We'll see it again. His faithfulness is all over this story. So Paul knows that the church in Colossae, um, maybe even far dangerous than anything that we've just experienced in the last two days. There's a storm called false teaching. 
there are going to be more storms. There's going to be more crises take place in the church in Colossae. And he's praying that they would know the Lord and walk with him, to understand his ways, understand how God works, all the way down to the fine-tuned details of pulling the trigger on decisions. They're in that church, and in the same way, we need to learn about Jesus, learn about the ways of Jesus, learn about the ways of discipleship and what the Lord might be up to here in Journey Church. We know that we need all three of these things from epinosis, Sophia, and uh, this word for understanding, Synesia. We need all three because we desperately need healthy, uh, sanctified thinking. Our minds need to be transformed, right? This is what Jesus said multiple times, recorded in three of the four Gospels. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. We must love the Lord our God with all our mind. We must learn about Jesus, who he is, his ways, his heart for us. And it was Jesus that said in John 17, 17, I, it was in Tyler's message last week, and so I saw it on the slideshow, and I go, no, I'm keeping that. It's the same thing. Um, Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in the upper room, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So how do we do this? How do we have our minds transformed? How do we learn about Jesus so these things flow out of our lives by the word of God? The word of God is that which transforms our thinking and our minds. So, Journey Church, pray for one another Pray for one another to, <coughs> to increase in learning about Jesus. Here's the second one. Pray for one another to be fruitful in living for Jesus. Um, I always like the other way around the horn of thinking, loving, living. Paul goes this way. Thinking, living, and then maybe we'll see if he gets to this other one. But Paul goes from thinking to living, this is what he says here in Colossians uh, verse 9, second part of verse 9, mainly verse 10. He says, For the day that we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, understanding. Here we go. So as to. This new way of thinking is supposed to lead to something. So as to walk in a manner worthy. The word walk is, an, is a Jewish metaphor to con, to, uh, for conduct or behavior. It's lifestyle and activity. We're, we're supposed to walk in a path of life. And what is that path supposed to look like? It's supposed to look like being worthy of the Lord. That's another fascinating word study. Um, worthy is axios, where we get the word axel. The idea that there would be uh, something that ties two equal things together so it's balanced. It's an axle, it's axios. And the idea here in the, in the text is that you call yourself Christians, do you look like the Lord Jesus Christ in your lifestyle, in the way you are living, in the things you're doing with your hands and your feet? Are you walking in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ? And then he describes what that will look like. <coughs> 
If you do, it will bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the word epinosis again. So here's where we get, he's going, I'm praying for you for epinosis, full knowledge, experiential knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, so that you may walk, and if and when you walk, it will feed back into even more epinosis. That's what he just did there. So that's where we can't just pull them apart and say, just do this for a while. These things feed back and forth into each other. That's the, the, the thing that's going on here. See, when we increase in the knowledge of God, it impacts our lives. J.B. Lightfoot said this, the end of our knowledge is conduct. What you really believe is how you live. So you can claim that you love Jesus, but let's see how you treat your wife or your husband or your children or your churchmates. Because that's what you really actually believe. And, but as you act on what is good and right, it flows back the other way into this experiential and, and firsthand intimate knowledge of the Lord in his heart, in his ways. So pray for one another to increase in learning about Jesus and then pray for one another to be fruitful in living for Jesus. Look, we just had a storm hit. It's so easy to go into crisis mode. It's all about us. Um, what are we going to do? Where are we going to meet? The mission never stops. Touching others in the name of Jesus, sharing the love of Christ, inviting more people to church, even meeting in this building. We don't know how long this will last. The mission never stops. Crisis cannot mandate where we focus. We must focus on the Great Commission, being and making more disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So pray for one another to increase in learning. Pray for one another to be fruitful in living for Jesus. And then finally, pray that hearts be strengthened. Taken right out of the text. Strengthened to love like Jesus over the long haul. Why? Because there are certain catastrophes in life that don't go away with one or two good decisions or a moment of reflection and confession and repentance. They don't go away overnight. There are things that have impacted your life that last for a decade, two decades, three decades. This problem that we have, that's six to eight month problem, at least and we don't know whatever else we're going to uncover. We just know that we need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened to love like Jesus for the long haul, no matter what comes our way, because life can beat us down. And these things that don't go away overnight can exhaust us. You've heard of compassion fatigue for counselors and pastors. I'm so tired of everyone else's problems. Now, I don't have it right now. I don't know if I ever have, but life can wear us down. Problems that don't go away can wear us down. So Paul is praying this final area in this way. To just highlight it again, he's praying that they be strengthened with all power. That's fascinating in the original language. Dynamis dunamis. It's, yeah, where we get the word dynamite, but that's not what we're talking about. Dynamite is... A dangerous, explosive, chaotic, and destructive. Whereas God's power is constructive, thoughtful, 
intelligent, puts things together, not blows them apart. But Paul's praying for this, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And then he names these wonderful character qualities, issues of the heart, endurance, and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If we are strengthened with the strength of God, you want to know what it does inside of us? These four things. Endurance. In the Greek, these compound, it's a compound word. Hupo, meno. Hupo means to remain. Meno means under. We are to remain under the burden of the challenge. To not give up, not quit, not tap out, not pout but to remain under. And God's power has the ability to give us that kind of staying power. Also, the next word here, patience, macrothymia, another compound word. Uh, the first part is long or far, like a long distance, but then also uh, wrath, anger. In the idea here of macrothymia or patience, it takes a long time, a very, 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 very long time to tick you off for me to lose my stack. And God's power is that which produces these beautiful things in the heart of the believer. Endurance and remain under, macrothymia, to stay at it without losing our, our uh, you know, getting hijacked and, and blowing up. Joy. This is the word charis. It's gladness that even in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the storm that doesn't seem to go away, that there's a smile, that there's a song in the heart. It might, there's, you're allowed to feel bad. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to really uh, mourn and grieve that which is lost. But the power of Christ within us continues to bring forth joy because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. Tyler pointed this out and I wrote it down. He doesn't even know when he said it, maybe staff meeting. Uh, former professor, and I've actually read at least one book by Donald, Donald Whitney, discipline without joy is drudgery. To remain under or just to stay cool-headed through the long, dark night of challenges is drudgery. But joy makes it more than bearable. It makes it tolerable. Um, it brings life and meaning to our pain and suffering. So endurance, patience, joy, and then giving thanks. There's the word eucharisto again. Giving thanks. These are things that only God can do in the midst of suffering people, right? To give them the stick to stay at it and not tap out. To give them the ability to be self-controlled in relationship with others. To give them the ability to have gladness even in the midst of the opportunity. And then to actually be able to give thanks along the journey. Give thanks back to the Lord who has qualified us. And this anchored in this, he's taken us from the kingdom of darkness and put us in the kingdom of light where we are going where there's no more pain, struggle, or challenges is enough to fuel joy and thanksgiving for a lifetime. So Paul is praying, this time not for the head, not for the hands, but for the heart so that they would sustain and endure the long challenges that they're up against. I love this from Psalm 119, verse 32, where David says, 
I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Heart language. God, I need you to pour into strength and hope and perspective and life into my heart. That's going to be the rocket fuel for me to run the full course of this marathon challenge that I'm facing. So pray for one another to increase in learning about Jesus. Pray for one another to be fruitful in living for Jesus. And pray for our hearts that we might be strengthened in order to love like Jesus over the long haul. Pray for each other because the gospel bears fruit and increases quantitatively as believers bear fruit and increase qualitatively. In Journey Church, can you imagine if 25% of us grew in this way, in these ways? Can you imagine just 25% of Journey Church growing exponentially in these three areas? Even 20%, 10%, or 5% would change the world forever. How about 100%? Let's be praying one for another in these areas. S.D. Gordon said, the great people of the earth today are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean these people who take time and pray. Amen? Amen. We're going to stop. We're going to have some, the final slide is how we're going to pray right now in our service Pray, you can pray in your head, under your breath, or with someone you're sitting with, but let's pray these prayers that come right out of the text. Got about two to three minutes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we want to remember those who may not know you this morning, that they would place their faith in you, that the gospel would increase in their lives. First and foremost, Lord, we know that your gospel has spread and is spreading around the globe right now. We give thanks to you for the spread of the gospel. We give thanks for the spread of the gospel in and amongst Journey Church and in Tucson. Lord, we also know that our privilege, our opportunity, our ability to participate in uh, the spread and increase of the gospel is tied to our uh, ongoing growth in the gospel, that we would not be disqualified or that we would not give a dirty picture of, of what Christian, Christians and Christianity looks like to those we are trying to, to uh, shine and uh, to be a witness to, Lord. So, Lord, we do ask that you would sanctify us in the truth, um, that you would work in and develop a plan that we would continue to be intentional about growing in our mind and understanding, Lord, that you would also touch um, our hearts, that you would uh, put... Uh, those good virtues of Christ in endurance and patience and, and grit and tenacity and joy and thanksgiving in our hearts that only you can do, that we would love one another well, be patient with one another, and then, Lord, the lifestyle, no matter what's going on, we would take care of business the way we need to, but we would constantly be looking outward to the harvest and the impact of the gospel around us. We pray these things together in Jesus' precious name. And if you agree with that, say amen. amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.